to Somewhere the Vulture. I'm joined again by the multi-talented Erica Schultz to discuss her upcoming Kickstarter for her new project, The Deadliest Bouquet. Thank you for returning, ma'am. Well, thank you for having me. I remember, I think, God, I think we did a podcast like eight years ago for M3. Yeah, we did M3, and then uh, last year we talked about your uh, project that was on comiXology, Forgotten Home. Yes, that was the one where you said that you thought that I had written it for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I just listened to a couple podcasts this past week that you were on, and you said my favorite thing that you've ever said, and you talk about how your writing is emotionally autobiographical. And that's one of the things I always take away from uh, your conversations. And just like with that last project that we talked about, I'm the middle of three brothers. So yet again, listening to you on other podcasts, it just always rings true, you know, talking about that whole process of growing up and, you know, the different stages of life. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. Yeah. And it's also like the round robin of alliances. It's like, who's not going to tell mom that I was smoking a cigarette versus who's going to kick my ass less? The new project pre-COVID, you know, there was a publisher that you had gotten involved with that this thing was going to come out via that. And then were you and James hooked up with from the get-go, even with that, with the publisher? Has he always been the editor, even from that stage? Yeah, because I mean, I had this this story sort of percolating for a couple of years, and I had tried to attack it from multiple angles. And there was just, I, I really felt like it wasn't working, no matter which way I went, you know, no matter which sister I told the story from, you know, from their perspective, uh, no matter which character, whether I started all the way back in World War II, or whether I, I did the more modern 1998 version, I just, I couldn't get it. So I had brought James aboard and he was already on when we started scripting and such. And then it came to this idea of, I felt like I kept going into the weeds and I needed to find sort of the path on who, you know, which character am I telling this from plus which story arc I'm going to, because at the time I had three different story arcs uh, set. I had the World War II, I had Jasmine, you know, the 50s and 60s. So it was like the 40s and 50s, the 50s and 60s, a little bit of 70s, and then 70s, 80s, 90s. Those were the three arcs, you know, for the three generations. And it was just getting too much. It was complicating the story. There wasn't like a solid through line. So I sent James a bunch of half done scripts, character outlines and stuff. And he went through and he's like, okay, take this from this and that from that and that from that. And he said, your real story here is focus on the sisters. Because one, they were the the most developed out of all these sort of different versions, but also they're the most interesting. And, you know, dealing with their relationships with each other, their relationships with their mom, old resentments coming up and things like that. You can touch on all the old stuff, but don't get in the weeds. Make sure that it's there for context, but that whole story doesn't need to be told right now. It sounds like there's a lot that getting to read that first issue and then finding out that you had so much going into it. I know and that's got to be hard, especially when you find yourself interested in your characters and you start building and then the layers start forming and and all of that. That's got it's got to be tough. I mean, I've never even even tried anything like that. But it sounds like similar to uh, writers that I've heard that they write these Bibles on all these characters. And that's really what it started to sound like as 
I was listening to you talk elsewhere. So it's very cool. The three characters right off the back, it's fast-paced. All the attitudes of all the different gals are very, uh, very fun. And at the same time, you know, tell a lot about themselves so quickly. Yeah, I mean, Carola really does a lot of great acting. Carola Borelli is the line artist, and she does a lot of really great acting in terms of facial expressions. And the three sisters look different enough that you can tell them apart in a crowd shot, but they look similar enough that you're like, oh, okay, they're obviously related. And something that I've seen a lot of times with with some artists is if you have, I mean, this isn't necessarily an ensemble story, but if you have something like that, uh, sometimes you can't really tell the characters apart from each other, but Carola really kept that in mind when doing the character designs. So the interplay between family members with the two uh, storyline so far that uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to you with over the last couple of years. Very deep family drama, very turbulent family drama. Uh, is that still something that is a, coming to the surface as you've gotten older and you're telling stories, you know, like with those emotions that you've had or been through, it's yet again that type of thing you've got going on? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that this sort of came out of was uh, my dad passed in 2016. And there was a whole lot to do. And I am one of three as well. And there was this whole lot of stuff to deal with. In the story, we have sort of each sister has had their own life going on. So despite the fact that Rose stayed home, she still had her own life. Poppy went to California, got married, had kids, had her own life. Violet was going off doing everything that she was doing. And then they all sort of get rubber bands snapped back and they have to deal with the family dynamics. And in every family, there is a type of hierarchy. And you take somebody like Violet, who doesn't want to listen to anybody, who's the baby, who then has to, you know, listen to their older sister. It's like, well, I've been on my own for all this time. Like, I don't have to listen to you. But you still sort of fall into that, that, that dynamic, you know, whereas Poppy's like, you know, she's got her family and she's doing her best to keep them at arm's length. You know, she doesn't want her husband who knows that she comes from a dysfunctional family, but doesn't really know all the details. So for her, it's like, okay, not only am I back in the thick of it and back in the environment that I literally tried to, you know, escape from, but here I now have the complication of my husband and my kids and trying to protect them. Because in Poppy's mind, she wants to protect them and shield them from the toxicity of her own family. And Rose is like, okay, well, I had my own thing going and now I've got my two sisters that I kind of half have to babysit and at the same time have to boss around. Thinking about her in that regard as to go off and having come from the dysfunctional family is very interesting because she obviously had to to make up that persona almost because it surely didn't come naturally from, you know, the history, unless you, I guess you could say she, the opposite of what she grew up with is a way to, way to follow that through. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think like when people go to college and they're around people that they don't know, they have the tendency to sort of create a new persona. Or if you move to a new town, you know, you have the tendency to sort of create the best version of yourself and leave any of the ugly, the messy stuff behind because you want to present yourself in the best light. At the same time, you have to be honest. And each one of these sisters is going to have a, a transformative arc. 
I, I was talking uh, on one of the 900 podcasts that I've done today. Um, you know, this idea of like, you read this first chapter and everybody's has already given, you know, this sister is my top sister and then, the, you know, ranked them kind of thing. Well, during the, the course of the story, some people's stock is going to go up and some people's stock is going to go down. So you're really, you're going to see, you know, the sisters sort of come in with a particular persona and you're going to see that stripped raw and you're going to see, and that's the problem is when you're around your family, they have seen you at your absolute most vulnerable. And, you know, there's this old adage of, you know, your family pushes your buttons because they're the ones who put them there. And it's the truth. Rose, Poppy, and Violet know exactly what to say to the other to really get under the skin and to really hurt. And they're all really hurting right now. Because as much as Violet comes in with this, let's just find this asshole and kill him. And Rose comes in with this, hey, 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 everybody let's try and be organized about this. And Poppy's, can I, can I just let the cops do this? Cause you know, I've got my own life that I want to get back to and I don't want to be part of this, you know, craziness anymore. They all have this sort of very different personas, but deep down they are hurting. And there's that saying, hurt people hurt people. They're lashing out at each other because you have all these years of resentment and sibling rivalry and resentment to the you know their mother Jasmine resentment toward each other and it's all gonna boil up and really just explode in everybody's faces and as much as they think that they can handle this and keep this under control they can't and that's sort of the best I, I in my mind that's kind of the best way to tell stories is to put a character in a situation that they're like Psh, I totally got this and then they're like yeah. Uh, I don't have this at all. That's great. Yeah, when you overestimate yourself is such... You're setting yourself up. Yeah, the part of the pride that leads to the fall. So we already talked about Corolla. Corolla Brelli. I mentioned James as editor. Uh, you're pulling double duty as writer and letterer. Because I'm a, I'm a, a, a control freak, yes. A control freak. All right, so on colors, we got Gab Contreras, and then uh, Kevin Wada is going to be doing... All the covers, because I know I saw one cover that he did, but I wanted to clarify. That's the thing is we're originally when this story was with a publisher, we were going to do five issues. But because we're doing a Kickstarter, it's going to be an OGN. So there's one cover, and that's the incredible Kevin Wada cover. Obviously, Kevin Wada is Kevin Wada. It's like gorgeous. Yeah, it's a great cover. But even receiving it in the email, I was like, this blew my expectations. Yeah, Kevin did an incredible job. And yeah, so we're only going to do an OGN because I do not want to do five Kickstarters once over five months and everything. So we decided we're just packing it into an OGN and uh, that's what we're going to do. Well, that's cool. That's awesome. Now, how many is this for you? I mean, Kickstarter wise, is it, have, is this? A... This is only my second Kickstarter. What else did you kickstart? I can't remember. We kickstarted uh, Strange Tales, which was... Strange Tales with Claire. I knew there was something that I had checked out that you were involved in. Okay. That was the only other Kickstarter. But James has done multiple Kickstarters, not only for companies, but for indie creators as well. When the, when the publisher had to back out because of COVID, there was a part of me that was like, okay, let's wait and see, you know, where this COVID things go. Because, you know, in the beginning, we all thought, you know, it was going to be two weeks, maybe a month. And then obviously things blew out. James said, you know, well, we could do a Kickstarter. And at first I was kind of like, uh, I don't know. But then I thought I'd been banging my head against a wall on this story for a while now. And we finally broke through, just see it to the end. 
And then it was like, okay, we'll do a Kickstarter. And and James has really been instrumental. You need a social media campaign and 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 all this like really specific stuff that you gotta that you have to be on top of. But also, I mean, Kickstarter really gives you like incredibly detailed analytics. They well, they'll say like, oh, look at this graph. You can see that on Tuesday or whatever time of day you're getting the most engagements. Twitter even does that too. Like you can click on it and it'll show you, you know, how many engagements, this, that, and the next thing. James has it pretty close to a science. So I'm like, thank God. <laughs> but I'm still definitely like type A brain involved in that. So yeah. I have pledged to quite a few and uh, really enjoy watching that whole process. One of the very first ones I was involved in just talking to the guys and literally while we were talking, they were on their phones just checking like, you know, the numbers changing. I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that people have the opportunity to get things made and I'm happy for you to have the opportunity. But it's just for me, it's just like a nerve wracking thing. I don't know if I could know that early whether people liked it or not. <laughs> I think there's just something in my head that I would just feel like, oh, I, I don't know. It's just me. You know, I, I think that there's a, you know, Kickstarter is really good in the sense that it, it allows people a platform to get their work out there. That is great. There's like a kind of a democratization of it. But I mean, you do need to be organized. I think to a certain extent, people think that a Kickstarter is just free money. It is not. You work hard for that money. Whether it's making sure that you are posting on social media like every day or every couple hours or whatever, or making sure you reach out to 4,000 different podcasts. It is all that. And it's a lot of work. I mean, there's a literal job of Kickstarter business managers. Like that's an actual job that people do. It's 100% accomplishing. You know, you can accomplish it. It's just don't go in thinking that it's going to be super easy. Greg Pak, who's a fantastic writer and creator, did a digital book called Kickstarter Secrets that was really, you know, a, a terrific handbook. And anyone who's even considering doing a Kickstarter, I definitely suggest that they look at that because it's either going to scare the hell out of you or it's going to empower you. And I would hope the last. He was really out on the f the forefront too of yes. really doing things in that realm. I remember uh, when everything kind of got up and running and the whole thing kind of caught on. So that's awesome. I didn't. I wasn't aware he had a book though. Yeah, there is there is a um, a Kickstarter secrets. Yeah. So five issues. Once you centered in and with James' help and really decided on those characters, well, you're telling things in the written word and with pictures. Like, how do you really? make that decision? I tend to work on the side of four to five issues because I think it's a manageable, you know, so you're looking at 80 to 110 pages. That's manageable. Um, I think when people come at a story and they're like, oh, I've got a story and it's going to be, you know, 60 issues or whatever. Don't do that. <laughs> Genuinely, don't do that because no publisher is going to publish it and no artist is going to want to draw 60 issues, especially if this is like your first story. Basically, it comes down to, all right, I want to make sure that I have enough content for this amount of pages, but not too much content. And that's where I would say some of these flashbacks come in to help not only move the story along, but help fill some content. Like if we didn't have these flashbacks, if we didn't have this 
extraordinary rich history that we rely on for context, then I think the story probably would have been about four issues. So probably between 80, 88 pages. But because we have this like long history and everything, I, I really want to, I want to touch on it as much as possible, but also not do everything on it. So now working with the people that you're working with on this project, and you've worn so many hats in this whole comics process, does that grease the wheels or does that tend to uh, make things a little rougher? I don't know. It's good and it's bad because having done everything gives me sort of this, well, I know what I'm doing sense. But at the same time, it allows me to know what I'm talking about. Uh, what I always tell people is when I teach the writing class at Qbert, the first lesson is, you know, I talk about the cosmic comic wheel. You know, how you have the story in the center and all these different spokes. And you've got, you know, your editor spoke and your penciler, inker, letterer, colorist, everything, you know, writer. The more you have done all these other things, the stronger you're going to be at the one thing that you really want to focus on. I'm primarily a writer. You know, that would be my major and my minors would be editing and lettering. And I think that being an editor and a letterer make me a better writer. Just like having done background work and inking makes me a better writer because I understand the process as a whole. So I can see the big picture, but then also get into the minutiae. When it comes to comics, there's such a specific understanding and language of how things connect and, and what's done. And, and I know that you've taught and you've so many types of things. That's one of the things that I've just always wondered because, you know, you have so many people that only do that one thing. I would say that I would have to know them all because not being able to know whether or not someone is doing what they need to do. I don't know. It's just, it's just something that really would tug at my brain. So I, I just was curious about that. Now, when it comes to the Kickstarter and putting all these things together and getting the book made, the different tiers and what you're going to offer and, and all of that, is that something that you just brainstorm or is it something that with James has been doing this for a while and with Greg's book and all that, you have a better understanding of what people would want those tiers to be or what? James helps immensely because I remember, you know, not really knowing where we should go with it. He made the point of like, okay, well on this Kickstarter, this worked and you know, that Kickstarter that worked and you need to have tiers kind of for every budget. Obviously the most popular tier is likely going to be the $25 tier where you get the book in print. Like that's usually the, the most popular tier kind of thing. But then you also have to offer other things. So we have a print by Elaine Grace. We have, uh, we have temp tattoos that have rose, poppy, and violet tattoo. We've got, you know, stickers. We've got a really cool sketchbook that you can get with the Kevin Water cover, like a journal that you can get. So we wanted to make sure that there's enough stuff to kind of appeal to the most amount of types of people. But I'm pretty sure that like the most people are going to go for is that tier of, I want my physical copy of the book. And, you know, my name's going to be in the thank you of the book kind of thing. It's really cool when you can see your name there. I've done it a few times already. And it's just like, like yeah, I helped make this happen. But it is cool, you know, when you feel something in your hands, you know, we all like tangible media. It's just cool to know that you played a part on the front end, not on the back end. 
you have been doing so many things. Where are, are you at right now? I know you're doing some editing for Mad Cave. Yeah, I'm an editor at Mad Cave Studios. I am. The semester is going to be ending soon for the school, which is good because I'll have a little, a little extra time back. And uh, I'm editing another project that hasn't been announced yet. Finishing writing this up, I've got about 25 pages left for this graphic novel to finish writing. I'm co-writing another story that hasn't been announced yet. Working on another story. I don't, oh, it's too much, Tim. I can't, I can't. I can't do it anymore, Tim. I can't do it anymore. And all the podcasts. <laughs> and doing all the podcasts. It's actually pretty cool. I uh, picked up Nottingham from Mad Cave, trying to work it out with Dave Hazan, uh, who's all the way in Australia, yeah. to, to sit down and talk to him about that. That's going to be that's going to be crazy. That's going to be like a 15 hour difference. Oh, yeah. He said, man, can we do it where it's not 4 a.m. in the morning? And I was like, man, if you will work with me to make it happen and we can make the Internet work for us. I was like, I don't care when we do it. If I got to be up at 4 a.m., it doesn't matter. Actually, 4 a.m. probably be good for me because everybody would be asleep. True. <laughs> I can actually talk to it. That is true. Yeah. It sounds like you're busy, busy, busy. You're always busy, though. God, so busy. I'm so busy and so tired. I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't start writing comics until I was 32 years old. And part of me thinks, like, I should have started 10 years earlier. And then I would still have the stamina. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot. But it's funny. Like, when I stop, when everybody's like, how do you do it all? Is like, if I stop and think about it, then... I'm going to think about it too much and then I'm not going to be able to do it like that, that Bob's burgers episode where he like Teddy asks him how he makes a burger. When he stops to think about it, he's like, I can't make a burger anymore. <laughs> so it's like, I can't analyze it because if I do, I'm going to screw myself. There go I, but for the grace of God, just keep going. Well, I'm going to ask you this because I have, for some reason I never do. I always fail to ask people, but amongst everything that you're doing, I don't even care what it is. I don't care if it's a TV show, if it's a book that you've read throughout COVID, comic, uh, creator, artist, anything, anything you recommend that's going on out there? There's a great Kickstarter that's going on right now. Dave Ebersall and Vinny Rico are doing a Kickstarter. It's called Tommy Dakota. I actually followed, um, started following that, yeah. And Dave and Vinny did Dash Together. And that one came out, I want to say, a couple of months ago. But Tommy Dakota is a brand new, it's not a series, it's going to be a self-contained OGN. And it's basically like the sort of Western outlaw who's looking for that like one big last score and how nothing goes as, as it planned, you know, as it's planned kind of thing. And it's, I've gotten a sneak peek of it um, that hasn't been on the Kickstarter. It's, it's really great. And Vinny, Vinny and Dave have a really great partnership in terms of when you're looking for an artist to draw your book, you have to find an artist, like every layer, it's like, it's like building a sandwich, like every layer has to enhance the layer below it. So you come with a good script, you get an artist who's just going to elevate that you get a colorist who's going to elevate the line art, you get a letterer who like understands what they're doing and elevates that. And then you have like an editor who makes sure your commas are all in the right place. You know, like the editor is basically like both sides of bread. You know, so Vinny and Dave really work well together and Vinny's art really works with Dave's stories. Um, so I'm glad that they got together again for this. And it's it's a really fun story. So I've been pushing that out. And I know when our Kickstarters are going to overlap because we're launching on May 11th and Dave and Vinny's Kickstarter is still going. So we're going to be doing a lot of cross promotion between the two the Kickstarters and stuff. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. With this project, once it becomes... 
comes to fruition, everybody gets their copy and all of that. With these Kickstarter projects that get made, then do you go into like a digital pitch? Will it be like available through Comixology? Will anything like that? What we're going to do is, and I did this with, um, we did this with Strange Tales. So for one full year, we don't put it on Comixology. Okay. Because if for the people who backed it on the Kickstarter, they get it first right. for a whole year. And, and as they should. And that's really cool. Yeah. And that's, and so I'm, I, I'm not planning on putting it on Comixology until, you know, let's say we finish. I mean, we, we obviously gave ourselves a little extra room on the Kickstarter. We said January, 2022, you know, knock on wood, it'll be earlier than that. But mm. let's say December of this year. So I'm not going to look to put it on Comixology until December 2022 okay. because I want all the Kickstarter backers to have a whole year to read it as many times as they want and things like that. And then I'll sort of open it up to everybody else. That's the plan. And we did that with Strange Tales as well, where if you had backed it at a digital level, you had the digital copy for a year. And then after a year, we uh, it was actually more like 14 months or so. Then we put it up on Comixologies so people could pick it up. But we want to, you know, it's like, look, you guys had faith in it in the beginning. And, you know, we're going to give you that little extra kind of thing. So, Is there a built-in way for it to even be picked up by a publisher after this? Um, I think so. You know, I hear whispers mm -hmm. that publishers and editors are sort of going through Kickstarters and looking for content. And I have seen books picked up from Kickstarters, you know, after the fact. And if a publisher comes to me and says, hey, we want to we wanna put this book out, obviously I'm going to have to sort of rethink that whole comicsology thing. Or maybe I say, this isn't the book that, you know, let's, let me pitch something fresh as opposed to. Right. Let's do something. Let's work together on something else. Yeah. Let's pitch something new. I'm constantly looking at it and thinking of it. I was dabbling in the music world. And so you have artists that are independent and they're coming up through the ranks. Once they amass an audience, then it's kind of built in. It reduces the risk of you investing. And that seems to me, if you had a, a tried and true proven product that it wouldn't be extremely risky for you to print copies of something that's already been made. Yeah. And it's similar in that way. And there's a part of me that's kind of like, Oh, so basically we do all the work. Mm -hmm. We prove ourselves. And then you're like, Oh, Hey, I'll give you a leg up. Right. You know, so, so there's a part of me that you drop by a con and you're just like, Oh, we got distribution rights on that. Even though you've already, yeah. you made it happen all on your own. Exactly. So there's, there's a part of me that kind of like, you know, gets my hair up a bit, but at the same time, it's like, and, and I had this conversation with my, with my students, this idea of like, look, you can do a Kickstarter for everything, keep all the rights to everything. And that's, and that's fine. But if a deal comes along, that's obviously not perfect because there is no perfect deal. Let's be honest. That's Nobody comes into a deal thinking about you. No. Well, that's the other thing is like every right. contract is written with them in mind, not with you right. in mind. Exactly. So just keep that in mind. But if a deal comes along and it's going to get the story to a wider audience and more eyeballs on it, then you make the decision. I mean, you make an educated decision of whatever the concession is, whether it's publishing rights or IP or, you know, percentage of IP or whatever it is, whatever the concession is, you weigh that with, if I go for this, then more eyeballs are going to be on it. And when it comes to comics, a lot of it comes down to is not the project you're working on, but the next project. So if 
signing with a publisher that has a wider audience than you do means that you are more likely to get another project then that might be a decision that you make. But I mean, it basically comes down to, you know, what is your situation? You never want to make a decision based on money, but let's be honest, decisions are based on money every single day between individuals, corporations, everything. Exactly. And I want to be idyllic and say, but you know, it's your art and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, I don't pay my mortgage in hugs. You know, like I don't bake cookies and pay my mortgage. And they're not paying for school in hugs. Yeah, exactly. They're not paying off school in hugs. And your, your electric bill is, you know, PSE&G is not getting paid with, with cookies. Like you, you have to make money, you know, and I'm not going to get into capitalism, socialism versus communism versus whatever, because I'm not educated enough in that. And it, it's too hot button of a topic. <laughs> but the point is, is that you have to make a decision. You know right. yourself, you know, your, your financial, financial situation, and you know what is doable as well as what is going to help you. Obviously, a larger distribution is going to help you. But if you really want to turn around and say, no, I want to do it on my own, then do it on your own. Just inform yourself about it. You know, figure out what's going to happen. Do the research, do the work, because otherwise, you know, you fall flat on your face and then it's, oh, well, maybe I should have taken that deal. And then it's, you know, double regret. You know, and like I said, you know, people think Kickstarter is free money. It's absolutely not. You've got a lot of work that you have to do between social media, doing a media blast. Think about when they do films. You know, it's not just, hey, this film is in the theater. You've got to do interviews. You've got to talk about it. You've got to do, you know, articles and all this other stuff. I mean, that takes time. That takes time and that takes effort. And if it, believe me, if it was just about free money, I would have like, I'd be passing the plate everywhere I go. But unfortunately, you got to work for it. And and I believe in this project. I believe in the team. So I'm I'm willing to work for it. Well, I'm glad that you're willing to work for it. And I appreciate your time. I know, like you said, you're busy and you've had tons of these to do. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And it's always fun to get to learn always with you a, a little more about how things work and what goes on behind the scenes. So thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you very much, Tim. We'll push this out and uh, be rooting for you on your Kickstarter and looking forward to when it does uh, get in all them, them those greenbacks. I'll get to read the book. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I, I, I'm not I'm not counting my money just yet. But no, I mean, definitely. So if people want to follow the, the Kickstarter on Twitter, it's deadly underscore bouquet. On Instagram, it's the deadliest bouquet comic. The link is in the bio on both of those. I'm at Twitter at Erica Schultz 42 and uh, Erica Schultz writes W R I T E S on Instagram. And my website is Erica Schultz writes.com. There's a shop there. So feel free to pick up any of the other books that I've done. And, uh, and yeah, you know, that's, that's my spiel. Give me money. Exactly. All those links will be in the show notes. The just a click away. I have only doing about one episode every three weeks. So you'll have me for that entire time. Yay! (laughs) Thanks again. I hope everything is well with you and yours. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the book. When I called you, it said it had been more than a year since I called you the last time. And I was like, oh, I was so excited. How was I going to do this podcast? Because COVID shut me in the house and all that. And then work got insane. Look, look, you're one of the frontline workers. You are allowed to be exhausted, you know. And thank you for doing all the things that you are doing. You're doing amazing stuff. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad at least the world has 
slowly gotten into some type of normalcy. But thanks again, and I wish you the best of luck. That's it for this episode of Somewhere the Vulture. (laughs) 